So Genesis 21, 8 through 21. And the child grew and was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, laughing. So she said to Abraham, cast out this slave woman with her son, for the son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my son, Isaac. And the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. But God said to Abraham, be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you. For through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also, because he is your offspring. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder along with the child, and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. When the water and the skin was gone, she put the child under one of the bushes. Then she went and sat down opposite him a good way off, about the distance of a bowshot, where she said, Let me not look on the death of the child. And as she sat opposite him, she lifted up her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the boy, and the angel of the God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Up, lift up the boy, and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. And she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy, and he grew up. He lived in the wilderness and became an expert with the bow. He lived in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. Not Dave, but I just wanted to do a quick introduction to Dave. Over six years ago, before we planted the church, we begged God for an older couple. Um, we begged the Lord and we prayed. And every time an older couple would come to our church, we would run to them. Um, please, please stay. <laughs> And they kept leaving. And, and not just an older couple, we beg God for a uh, godly fellow pastor who's older than me <laughs> and other pastors here because our average age is 35. And a little time ago, the Lord sent Dave and Sherry to us. And surprisingly, they did not leave. And they pressed in. And we, were, we admire them so much and their, their family and what God has done. And... It would, we would have been dumb not to call him into pastoral, a process towards pastoral ministry. So Dave was called into something called um, being a pastoral apprentice, which feels funny to call him apprentice because he's, he's, he's not, he's older than me and everyone else. And he pastored for 30 plus years before this church, being at our church. Um, so I, I share that to give some context, to just remind you that's kind of what, what's going on with Dave. And um, so he's on this process, and part of being a pastoral apprentice is that you preach occasionally. And so I just want to invite you to be praying for Dave, not just during the sermon, but pray for him and Sherry and their family as we seek the Lord, if God would have him be another elder at All People's Church. And so, um, yeah, with that... Uh, Dave, so grateful for your labors. Please, please give us your word, um, and may we have hungry hearts to receive. Thanks, Well, good morning. 
It is great to be here. Uh, it's been a little while since I've been in preaching, and uh, so I am, a little, I am a little nervous. So I'm going to start with prayer, if that's okay. Heavenly Father, um, you are a kind and compassionate Father, full of mercy and grace to us in Christ that we could never earn and never deserve, but you lavish it on us. So Lord, right now, I just pray for myself and any others who are anxious that they would uh, cast their anxiety on you because you care deeply for them. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I was uh, studying this text this past, uh, well, couple months probably, <laughs> uh, it just has been striking me over and over again in the, um, through this whole series in the life of uh, Abraham is that God is so gracious and compassionate and good and helpful to Abraham over and over again through his many errors and mistakes and a little bit going wayward and wanderings. And uh, so this text is another text that I think gets at God's fatherly compassion, goodness, and help in the midst of conflict and confusion and change that happens in all of our lives. The Lord tests our faith in order to increase our faith in him and his word. So he brings the hardships and the pain and the things we have to go through in this life, but he means them all for our good to conform us to the image of Christ, to increase our faith in him and in his word. So that's why James says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. So I was thrilled last week, we as a church looked back over God's faithfulness to us in our lives. That was a precious time that Pastor Daniel led us through. And I, and I just kept looking back in my life, and you'll see I'll have some examples of that over the past. But the way we build our faith is we look back to God's grace and mercy to us in the past so that we can trust him in his word in the present and for the future. So last week we looked at that God's faithfulness, and then Pastor Daniel taught us that God always keeps his word and that his faithfulness should produce joyful and faithful living for God's glory in our everyday life. We have seen week after week the Lord faithfully and progressively shepherding, shaping, and testing Abraham and Sarah's faith, and today is no exception. I love the Apostle Paul's testimony of Abraham's life. Remember that Abraham grew strong in his faith, giving glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he promised. And we'll see that again in this text this morning. So I want us all, myself included, to go deeper into that kind of faith and asking the Lord to produce that kind of faith in our lives through this text this morning. So this morning, we're going to see our Lord, that our Lord graciously designs the testing of our faith through the circumstances of our lives to deepen our faith in him, grow our glad-hearted submission to his will, and increased our trust in his word. 
we will also see God's great compassion for outcasts, the oppressed, the hurting, the lost, as well in this text, and how he calls us to join him in his mission to bless them in the name of Abraham's offspring, Jesus Christ. So let's dig into the text together. So we come to the setting of the text, and I just want to read verse 8 for us as we just kind of work our way through. And, this, and we come, to, and it says, And the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. Genesis 21, 8. This is a celebration day for weaning, which we all go, huh? <laughs> What's up with that? Uh, and it, so it's now, let me get you the setting, it's now two to three years after the birth of Isaac. We, we skipped ahead quite a bit in the text. The child through whom God's, prom, God's promises and blessings are to flow to the world uh, has been born, and he's now a toddler. And we're simply told here that the child grew and was weaned. Um, and like I said, we really think very little about a child growing and being weaned in our culture. But that's because infant mortality wasn't as high as it was in Abraham's day. And we kind of separate God, who is the Lord of life and death, away from that. And we don't even think about celebrating that God got our child up to be weaned and to start to grow as a toddler and got him through those early years. But that's what they're doing. Um, the fact that Isaac had made it to being weaned as a toddler and was in good health was a cause to celebrate the faithfulness of God. And that's what they're doing. So Abraham decides he's going to throw a party, right? With a great feast in honor of the occasion. And this celebration is another confirmation to Abraham and Sarah of God's faithfulness to his promises and that all his promises of future grace to them are going to come through their offspring, Isaac. Um, so I just want to take a little detour for just a second. The ultimate offspring of Isaac, Jesus Christ, we, all the blessings of God flow down to us through him. And therefore, every day for us is a day of celebration of God's grace and God's faithfulness. We should be the most joyful, celebratory people on the face of the earth. And we've got Thanksgiving coming up to do that with our families. We have such reasons to celebrate all God's faithfulness to us over the years and through his son, Jesus Christ. And so, um, as, uh, and, and just a little exhortation to us as a church. Um, sometimes Christians are some of the most somber people in the world, right? It looks like the joy has been sucked right out of us many times. I think we, but we, again, should be the most joyful people in the world. Parties and celebrations should be a part of who we are as a local church. As Charles Spurgeon used to say, the church is the happiest place on earth. I want us to live that out, right? We want to live that out for everybody to see how great it is to be the people of God in Christ. So, we come to the conflict in the passage this morning. Sorry about that. So what we have here in this situation, we've got two sons, and we've got two mothers, and we've got two potential heirs to Abraham's 
riches. That equals trouble. <laughs> that equals trouble. So look at me, look with me to verses 9 through 11. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she born to Abraham, laughing. So she said to Abraham, cast out this slave woman with her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. And the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. So again, they got the celebration, and suddenly Sarah hears laughter and mocking, and it's laughter of the mocking variety coming from Ishmael. The Hebrew word here makes clear that it is no innocent laughter, but rather a mocking of Isaac as the child of promise. And you have to remember, Ishmael's about 16, 17 uh, right now in this story, and, uh, and he's mocking Isaac in some way, shape, or fashion, and mocking what God is doing uh, through Abraham and Isaac, uh, Abraham and Sarah and Isaac, in some way, shape, or form uh, in this uh, thing, and mocking Isaac as a child of promise. Uh, Again, this word, this Hebrew word, is used of the Philistines mocking Samson. So you get the idea of the type of mocking, the type of laughter that is going on here. It's the negative version of the same Hebrew word used for Isaac's name uh, and the song of Sarah just mentioned here earlier in this chapter in the opening verses. So that's what's going on. That's the situation. There's mocking going on of God and his promises and his work through um, Abraham and Sarah and with the birth, the miracle birth of Isaac. I think we're meant to step back and think about are there any other brothers that had some conflict in the past that we've already seen in the book of Genesis. And, and, and I think we, we are supposed to remember and, and, and think about a little bit the conflict between the two brother, half-brothers, Isaac and Ishmael, is meant to make us think about Cain and Abel. Abel offered his sacrifice to God by faith, right? By faith in God and his goodness and promises. And, but Cain did not. And so Abel was accepted by God and Cain was not. And Cain ended up over jealousy over his brother, killing his brother um, out of that situation. So this is somewhat similar to that. I think we're supposed to think about that. The one son is the son of promise, the son of God's promises, and the other one is an outcast. He's not going to be a part of that family. And there's tension between the two of them who are both sons of Abraham. So Sarah hasn't had enough of the tension in the household, and he commands Abraham harshly to cast out this slave woman with her son. It's, again, important to remember that in this situation, it was created by Sarah and Abraham's unbelief, right? Because Sarah gave Hagar to Abraham to have a child. So then Sarah continued... She continues with her reason why this casting out needs to take place. For the son of this slave woman will not be heir with my son Isaac. And again, where did she get this? That's from God's word, right? God said that clearly to them back in Genesis 15 and Genesis 17. That it was going to be through Sarah that the heir would come. That the child of promise would come. And notice what she's afraid of. There's fear going on here. I'm going to address that right now. There's fear going on in this passage in Sarah. So she says truth, 
but she says it harshly and in fear, not in faith. So, so she's afraid that uh, Ishmael will be, will, she says he will not be heir with my son Isaac. So she's afraid Abraham's love for Hagar, Abraham's love for Ishmael, is he's going to make Ishmael a co-heir with Isaac. That's what's going on here. That's what's going on. That's what she's afraid of. Even though she has God's word, that that's not going to be the case. Her fear enters in. And I'm telling you what, brothers, I can relate to that, can't you? Anxiety. You've got God's word and promises, but you go, I don't know, I'm doubting, I'm, I'm, I'm slipping, I'm feeling like I'm doubting. So Sarah is rightfully understanding God's word that here that Isaac is to be the heir of Abraham and God's promise, but she is letting fear control how she is handling this situation. Sarah's fear is causing her to act unbiblically and selfishly. God has promised to make Isaac heir. She does not need to engineer that for God. But how many times in my life, because I'm a control freak, I'm a card-carrying, I, I want it to happen this way and go that way and go this way. And then part of me looking back on my life this past month or week or whatever it was, but is seeing how God, the lines of my life, if you just said, that was a really strange career path you took. You'd, if you looked at my life and ministry pathway, you'd go, I don't understand that. And quite frankly, I don't understand it all. Um, but, uh, but if I'm just so thankful that I'm not in control, looking back and seeing God's grace and faithfulness in all the little detours of life that he has brought and done for good in our lives. So Sarah's jealousy and her fear has led her to act selfishly and not in love. And she responds with a harsh word to her husband, Abraham. And I was thinking about that as well, that fear and jealousy has led me many times to harshly lash out at others because I'm not in that moment trusting the Lord to be at work in the situation. I think I have to take vengeance or really put somebody in their place or whatever I need to do. So fear and fighting the good fight against fear is a thing. And the thing is displeasing to Abraham. And we're going to see his fear now. It's a different fear, but it's still fear. Abraham was very upset that Sarah commanded him to cast out the slave woman and her son. It did not please him. So Abraham, it seems, has been fearfully reluctant to make clear that Ishmael, not, uh, Ishmael is not to be his heir in any way, shape, or form. He knows that. He heard the word from the Lord. But I think he just doesn't want to deal with it. He wants it to be one big happy family. Let's try to get it all to work it around. I don't want to deal with, you know, the elephant in the room. And again, fear leads to all kinds of different ways that we can sin. And this way is being passive. And men, we are most susceptible to this. We're most susceptible probably to both sides of this. To even going super hostile and dictator type thing in our lives or going super passive with our families or, or, or wherever else we are called to provide leadership. And we just don't want to go into hard situations and address them. And I had many of those times that I look back with shame now 
that I did not walk into a situation soon enough to try to diffuse it for the glory of God and the good of the church, and I let something go that was conflict-oriented and that was dividing the church, and I did not step in and do anything until it was too late. I don't want to be like that. But thank be to God that his grace is sufficient for us and he continues to grow us in our faith. And through that testing, in that case where I failed, I learned some valuable lessons moving forward. As a guy who doesn't like conflict, I don't like it. And I would go more passive than I would aggressive. So as I was thinking about this for just a moment, I wanted to talk about fighting the good fight of faith uh, against anxiety in our lives. Anxiety is a form of unbelief. We're not trusting God. We're not trusting his word. We're not trusting him to be active or working in a situation. And so anxiety is there. And I can relate to the struggle against, with anxiety in Sarah's and Abraham's life. If we don't fight against the unbelief of anxiety, we can fall into all kinds of sins. Anxiety has been a thorn in my whole flesh right up to today. And the Lord has said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. I think it's one of my greatest weaknesses. I was having everybody pray for me in the prayer meeting this morning because I do feel anxious right now. And anxious is, and so I, so what I do, what do you do when you have anxiety? We all have it. And it's not that you fail because you have anxiety. It's how you deal with it. You deal with it, going to the Lord and by faith and and seek to uh, put it to death or do you just let it be and let it control your life? And God in his compassion wants us to fight it. So, the Bible talks about fighting the good fight of faith. I'm constantly fighting the good fight of faith against anxiety. So, how you fight is to remember God's grace to you in the past, his goodness, when you're in a situation that makes you anxious. And then, is past, and then you turn to the promises of God's grace to you in his word for the present and for the future. And right now, I am fighting anxiety in my life over finances. Finances are kind of tight in the Widerski house sometimes, and I find myself getting so anxious and worked up about that as if God doesn't even exist or isn't in our financial situation or isn't, do you know know what I mean? So so when when God finally opens my eyes and I see that anxiety, I know I have to fight. I know I have to fight and I have to fight with the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And the text I'm going to recently is Hebrews 13, five and six. And I want want to look at this text. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. And then he gives you a reason why. It's always those reason whys. You know, really cast your anxiety on him. Why? Because he cares for you. That's a promise. This, this promise is this. Keep your life free from the love of money. Be content with what you have. For God has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. He's my treasure he, I, I work at Lazy Boy, I'm a sales manager, but he provides for me. Lazy Boy doesn't. The Lord provides for me. 
He's my provider, and he will never leave me or forsake me. He's working in my life every single day and every single moment. And then it goes on to say, so we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what can man do to me. That's how you fight the good fight of faith against anxiety in your life. Find a scripture verse, and they're, they're everywhere in the Bible. Why? Because we never fear? No, because we always fear. We're a fearful people. They're everywhere, and the Lord graciously provides them. And I'm telling you what, he ministers to your soul and your spirit in the midst of the conflict, in the midst of the anxiety-producing situation, and he gives you his peace. So what's Abraham going to do? We've got to get to the next point, or I'll never get through this. <laughs> uh, he's, he's in this situation. What he's gonna, what's he going to do? Look at verses 12 through 14. But God said to Abraham, do not be displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you, for through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also because he is your offspring. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder along with the child and sent her away. So God graciously speaks into the situation Maybe for, for us now, it would be through a scripture like I just read. He speaks into the situation and the anxiety of your life, and then he tells you, what, here's what you need to do. Like, I'll never leave you, forsake you. Believe that. Trust me. You can trust my heart. I am good. I am in this. I'm not abandoning you. And that's basically he comes, and he says that, and that's what he does for Abraham. Um, he speaks into that, this situation, and he graciously does that, graciously does that. So the point here that I want to just look at, expound for just a little bit, is the Lord shepherds and guides us through his word. Don't be displeased to the boy and because of your slave woman, whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you. So what is God instructing him to do here? Why should he not be displeased in this situation? Why is he supposed to do as Sarah tells him? Two reasons God gives. Through Isaac, your offspring shall be named. Isaac's your heir. I've declared it. That is how it's going to be. Take faith in my future grace. I am working that out. You can rest in that promise. Isaac is your, your offspring shall be named. And, and all my promises will come to you to make you a great nation. And number two, I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman because he is your offspring. God is speaking grace and mercy and reminding Abraham of his promises and his plan and that he's always true to his word and that he will accomplish his will. And Abraham, he's saying, you can relax in me, in me, in this situation. I don't, don't you... I love this passage, and I love how the Lord enters into all these situations, and he speaks with Abraham as a friend, as a friend would another friend, letting them in on what they are thinking and what they are doing. How gracious of God to remind us of his word and his will and his plan over and over again in Scripture, and that we're a part of it. We're part of it. We're part of his plan. Brothers and sisters, uh, 
God cares about the stressful moments of our lives. And he graciously ministers his life-giving and life-understanding word into those lives as well. Time after time in my life when I was perplexed or did not know what to do, I had to hear from the Lord. I knew I had to hear from him. I didn't know what to do. And so often, and I do this usually about monthly, but I, I take my Bible and a notebook and I get away to a quiet place and I seek the Lord's instruction through his word. I have to do that. There are so many voices bombarding us every single day of our lives. We have to be like Jesus and get away to a desolate place. If you want to hear from the Lord, if you want to instruct him, like that passage, great passage in Psalm 25, which I go to a lot, the Lord promises to instruct us. You need to go to him. You need to go to his word and let him minister to your heart and you need to remove distractions. We are bombarded, I said, with voices in this word, but there's only one voice that matters and that can change our life and transform our minds. I think so often that I'm like Martha in the story of Martha and Mary, where Jesus, you know, Mary's sitting at Jesus' feet and getting taught by Jesus and hanging on his every word and finding life in the words of Jesus. And Martha's doing great things, good stuff. She's cleaning up, she's making sure everything's good. And, and you know, and she goes to Jesus and said, hey, Tell my sister to help me. And Jesus said, and I feel like the Lord says this to me, you know, Dave, Dave, you are distracted by so many things. But only one thing matters, to sit at Jesus' feet and hear his voice. Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice. They heed, they follow me, and they find abundant life for their souls in that process. What a gracious God. What a gracious gift of his voice speaking into our everyday lives. So Abraham's in a situation that he probably doesn't fully understand, right? He doesn't get why it has to happen this way. I mean, why now? Why this way? You know? And don't we have a lot of times where God says, you need to go here or you need to stop and separate from these people. And we don't necessarily know why, right? And have you ever been in a situation where God asks you to do something or give up something and you find yourself asking again, why? I was helped by James Boyce this week comment, commenting on this passage. He said, if you have served God for any length of time, you know that God has sometimes led you into situations like this. He requires separations, things you have to turn your back on, friends, occupations, pastimes, whatever it may be. And when you are in the midst of the struggle, you look at these things and you say, what's wrong with them? Aren't they all right? Have you been there? As I was looking back over my life, I've been there a lot. And one of the most painful obediences that the Lord called myself and my family into was there was a church that we really loved and we were there quite a while and we were loved by the congregation. We loved this church. And through a lot of things happening outside my control, it became obvious that we had to leave. We had to leave this church. We loved, our kids were little and I didn't want to leave. But it was obvious 
through the providential circumstances of the Lord that he was calling me to leave, and he was calling me to go to another church. He had another assignment for me. And then we found that church. I went and candidated at a, at a new church. You know anything about candidating? It's a week-long process where we're basically like dating. You put on your best face and that, that at the end of the week you preach a sermon and then they vote to whether you're going to be their pastor or not. That's how it works in a lot of churches. Um, and so I was halfway through that experience at this new church. That I, didn't, I, don't want to, I don't even want to leave the city I'm in uh, or the church I'm in. And now I'm candidating, and in the middle of the candidate, I find out this church is a ungodly, dysfunctional mess. And I went back to the hotel. Sherry was staying. I had a meeting in the middle of the week with some people who made, helped me to understand what was going on at the church. And I told Sherry, pack up, pack the kids up. We're out. We're out. I'm not even going to preach. We're leaving. And my wife, because she's a gift of God's wisdom to me and the Holy Spirit's voice to me, she said, I've been praying, and the Lord's not giving you freedom to leave. And then she got me together with a couple of godly elders that were there that I had met and gotten to know over through the interview process, and I talked to them, and they said the exact same thing. God's saying to us, you can't leave. You're supposed to come in here and work on this church. Basically replanted. I didn't want to do it. I didn't want to do it. I didn't understand. I and so I was angry with God. We went, I preached, got the call. I'm there the first month. I had to move out before Sherry moved out. And I'm there by myself for a month alone. And I'm not kidding you. And it still brings back emotions to me now because it's painful. I just, I cried out to the Lord every night of that month when I was alone at night. And I said, Lord, get me out of here. I do not want to be here. I know it's going to be hard. I know it's going to be difficult. And I don't want to be here. And it was the most three years, the most difficult, painful things that I've ever had to go through. But God meant it for good. And the last years after those three, there was all kinds of revival type stuff going on. And the Lord was good. And he did replant that church. The church, after three years, was a completely different congregation than it was before. It's sad. I don't, I'm not thrilled. I mean, I wish it could have been different, but that's what the Lord took me in. And I have fruit of God's goodness in this, in the pains of life, because they're sitting right here. My son Tyler met his wife Abigail, and now I have two wonderful grandsons through that hard and difficult obedience that I did. And the Lord grew me in a way that I had never been grown before. So the Lord means the testing of our faith to grow us. You know, the Lord tests our faith in order to increase our faith in him and his word. And Abraham's obedience here shows us that. He immediately obeys. He understands God is good. God is gracious, I don't understand, but he gets up the next morning and he obeys. Now I just have a few minutes, but I've got a whole chunk here. Here we go, all right? And it's all about God's faithfulness, it's all about God's grace, it's all about God's goodness and help. What about the castaways? Does God not care about them? 
Hagar, the now former slave woman, but has nothing, no husband, and Ishmael is fatherless. Does God care? Will God's fatherly compassion that's been ministered to me, will that get ministered to them? The answer is yes. God pursues Hagar and Ishmael with his fatherly compassion and loving, loving kindness. So let's look at the text and we'll get through this. This is a beautiful thing. God's compassion is so beautiful in this text. As she departed and wandered in the wilderness, when the water and the skin was gone, she put the child under one of the bushes. Then she went and sat down opposite him in a good way off about the distance of a bow shot. For she said, let me, look, let me not look on the death of the child. And as she sat opposite him, she lifted up her voice and wept. Does that bring you to tears? It's meant to meant to. This is a heart-wrenching and hopeless scene. Ishmael and Hagar are wandering in the wilderness, lost and running out of Abraham's supplies of food and water. When that water finally runs out, Hagar hides Ishmael, who is dehydrated and dying, under a bush to escape the heat. Then she separates herself from her son because she does not want to watch him die. There are so many hurting people out there in the world, are there not? And some of you might be hurting today. Does God care? Is he involved at all in your situation? Does he, what's going on? Our God is a God of compassion. And he is a God of loving kindness. And he sees and he hears. And that's what the next part of the text says. Go with me to 1721. Here's the good news. Here's the good news. Um, for those who are hurting. And God heard the voice of the boy. And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Up, lift up the boy and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. And she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy and he grew up. He lived in the wilderness and became an expert with the bow. He lived in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. Look at that text. God sees. God hears. God speaks. God helps. And God is near. In Acts 17, Paul is telling people of Athens, about the unknown God, the God in whom they live and move and have their being. God is in everything. He is near to the brokenhearted. What tenderness of God. God heard the voice of the boy. And the angel of God called Hagar. What troubles you, Hagar? Your creator God hears I'm just telling you from this text, your creator God hears your cries of distress you don't know him this morning. And he hears our cries of distress over his children. But I especially want those who don't know Christ in this room this morning to know he hears. He hears you and he knows your name. He knows your name. And he is there to offer help 
to you if you will turn and run to him. Your creator God, even though you rebelled against him and rejected him and lived a sinful, self-centered, self-worshipping life, has given you life and breath and everything good in this world to enjoy. He really does love you and has compassion for you. He has treated you not as you deserve, and I'm just thinking about myself and how this all applies to me, right? He has treated you not as you deserve, but with kindness and grace. But that just makes, if you're not, if you haven't returned to him, that just makes your betrayal and rejection of him more heinous. But our creator God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. If you are lost spiritually like Hagar in this place right now today in Ishmael, the Lord Jesus has a gracious word for you this morning. And he says this, come to me, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, burned down by your own sin, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, Got to submit to him. You exchange your life for his life. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. So come to me, the Lord Jesus says. Take my yoke upon you. Be my, be my servant. Be my friend. Walk with me, and I'll teach you. And in my teaching, I have the words of eternal life. And so you will find rest for your souls. What a God we serve. What a God. What a compassionate God who cares deeply about all of us. So I want to do one thing. This is going to be leading into our response time. Um, I just kind of got three Three uh, quick points. I'm I'm calling them three faith-building and flesh-killing questions from our text this morning. Okay, Three faith-building... I I think flesh-killing isn't up there. I kind of added it at the last second. Uh, From from our text this morning. First of all, are you trusting the Lord or are you leaning on your own understanding? The verse that just kept coming to my mind over and over again through this passage is... The one in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. That means submit to his lordship and he will make your paths straight. Those crooked paths I talked about, they're actually straight in Jesus's because he's been guiding me and shepherding me and you as well. But where are you at right now? Is there a situation in your life that you really know that you're not trusting the Lord? You're leaning on your own understanding of a relationship, something, and you're holding on to it because maybe you don't want to surrender it to the Lord. Do a little business around the Lord with that. As we seek to grow our faith strong in our faith, if we... uh, As we seek to grow strong in our faith and giving glory to God, we need to ask ourselves, am I in this current season or situation in my life trusting the Lord or leaning on my own understanding? Are there areas right now that you need to give over to the Lord and trust him with? 
is full of grace and compassion and mercy and stands ready to help. Second, are you living by God's word or man's words? Faith is defined as humble, dependent trust in God's character and God's word. So if we want to grow strong in our faith, we have to be men and women of the word. Faith, the Bible tells us, comes from hearing, hearing from the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord opens our deaf ears so that we can hear God's word, receive God's word, and be changed by God's word and grow in our faith. Then, number three, are you ministering God's compassion to the lost around you or are you lacking compassion like Sarah? That's the contrast in the text I didn't really talk about, but that's, I think, the main con- contrast is Sarah's lack of compassion for Hagar and Ishmael and God's compassion for Hagar and Ishmael. Uh, it is God's kindness, the Bible tells us, that is meant to lead us to repentance. My dad in my life showed great kindness to me. I don't have time to tell that story. You can ask me about it later. That was part of God's bringing me to faith. I understood God's grace because of the way my dad treated me when I didn't deserve. I was actually in jail when I was 16. That's all I'm going to tell you. Uh, it's too long of a story. I could, I, uh, my kids all know it, so they can tell you. Um, As God's covenant people in Christ, we are blessed with the love and grace and mercy of God in order to be a blessing to our neighbors and the nations. I'm just asking how you're doing with that. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, you truly are a good and gracious, loving and merciful Father. And you are an ever-present help in the midst of conflict and confusion and change that we all go through in this world. So I pray, Lord, that we would run to you right now. If there are things in our lives that are making us anxious or we're mad, angry, or whatever it is, Lord, I just pray that we would run to your arms that we would hear from you right now in this place. And Lord, that you would minister to our hearts and our minds and let us know that you will never leave us or forsake us. I pray this in Jesus' name.